You know what time it is No matter where you've been So let's do it again Listen up and let the sun shine And we've got soul training Time to practice what you preach And here's Daniel, Allen, and Joe. Joe, you ever thought about starting a talent agency? You ever mm, thought about that? Never. Never. Do you think they still exist? Uh, yeah, probably. You're a musician, aren't, aren't you? Or used to be? Yeah, I guess. How did you book your shows? Who? We begged and pleaded a lot. So no, no talent, no middleman? No middleman. It was just us. Well, the reason why I bring that up is you have like a real keen sense of uh, awareness for spotting Scouting, spotting, and scheduling talent. That's where we are today. Okay. And we've got Dr. Jeff Miller here with us, and so you picked him out and got him here. I don't know what you negotiated with his contract, but you got him here pretty quick. So that says a lot about you, Joe. So we're honored to have – Well, I appreciate that, but Daniel was the one that – Put him in the headlock and drug him in here. Yeah, well, see, that's what great leaders do. You deflect <laughs> any kind of compliments. So, let's see, there again, that's what that adds to the, the legend of Big Show Joe. Yeah, so, um, so, in all seriousness, because I want to hear what Dr. Miller has to say, and I'll, I'll make my, I'll do the three minute intro for you this time instead of the 12 minute. Um, but Dr. Jeff Miller is with us. You are, I'll let you talk about you and who, how you're connected to Apologetics Press. But uh, actually, uh, and I don't think you would mind me, me saying this, but I knew your dad. Uh, he doesn't know me, but I, I followed your dad a long time ago and actually got to meet him when he was doing a seminar um, about the, the Constitution, about how the Constitution, uh, the Bible, inspired and is framed after I'm sorry the constitution is framed after the bible and uh, it was it was very interesting and I had I had the dvd and and followed that and I've written a lot of your dad or I've read a lot of your dad's work that he's written so uh, I hope it's okay for me to uh, highlight him first you know so I know yeah, anytime I get excited when somebody likes to tell stories about my dad, I want to hear those instead of hearing stuff about me. So, but uh, I really respect your dad and and the work that he's done, and uh, because he has helped me build a. And he doesn't know this, but he's helped me build a lot of Bible lessons and a lot of Bible classes. I always give him credit for it. I always, always give credit for stuff you use. <laughs> I did that, and uh, but he was very impressive, and I know that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So. If you would tell the world and all the countries that uh, Soul Training Nation is connected to about who Jeff Miller is and where you've been, yeah, where you us, are, and where you're going. Give us a little bit of your, your background, Jeff, for those that might not know. <clears throat> well, uh, so I'm, full, I'm the full-time science writer at Apologetics Press. Um, uh, each of the guys at Apologetics Press have kind of a different wheelhouse of things that, that we specialize in and study. And I'm, I'm on the science side of things. That's what my background was in school and my, uh, my uh, graduate education and so forth. So uh, when I came into AP, I, um, which was, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, something like that, it was mainly dealing with anti-evolution, anti-Big Bang stuff. That was the main issues that, from an apologetic standpoint, that the church was dealing with. And so I did extensive writing on that. But then um, a few years ago, may have been 10 years ago now, I've lost track, the uh, Bill Nye-Ken Ham debate happened. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I remember and, that. Uh, and Bill Nye, the pseudoscience guy, as I like to call him, 
uh, made a lot of arguments that uh, Ken Ham didn't really respond to that I thought were really good points that needed to be responded to. And that just that that launched me into an area of apologetics where instead of just dealing with their argument, also making the case for our argument. And that really requires getting into the field, uh, which is different than what AP has really been involved in uh, historically. And so there are creation scientists that actually get into the field, study these things, help develop the biblical flood model, and uh, using scripture as the main, uh, you know, information, of course, but then going into into the field actually develop uh, to, to broaden the uh, the model and fill in the gaps of the things that the Bible doesn't weigh in on. And so I've been doing that for a few years in addition to my other normal writing and so forth. And caves has been kind of what has become the niche that I'm involved in. Um, the conventional thinking on caves for decades has been that uh, caves are a powerful argument for an old earth. They're argued to take thousands to millions in some cases of years to form. And, uh, and creationists have responded by basically saying, well, you know, God could have just done it. Um, and well, the problem is these caves are not found in creation week layers. They're actually found in layers in the flood. So usually creationists say, well, in that case, the flood did it. But it's easy to say that. It's another thing to actually prove it. Mm -hmm. And so the conventional thinking is uh, rainwater, and you'll hear this at all the caves around here uh, close to Glasgow. There's a ton of these tour caves here. And I've been to almost all of them right here, 62 caves so far that I've been in. Uh, moving further into the Northeast this summer. But um, the conventional thinking is rainwater comes down from the sky, picks up carbon dioxide, hits the ground, uh, seeps through the ground, picks up more carbon dioxide from decaying materials, and it turns into basically soda fizz, carbonic acid, very weak acid. Okay. So when that gets down to limestone, it'll start slowly dissolving it that. Yeah. yeah. And after that would take a long time to form, say, Mammoth Cave. I mean, that's a big hole. Right. And so they would say that takes thousands, millions of years to, to do that. So creationists have postulated, well, the flood did it. <clears throat> and so our model would say instead of wa water slowly coming down from above, what if acid was coming up from below? Uh, well, incidentally, there has been a, over the last, since the 90s, there's another cave development mechanism that has been um, gr growing steam in, in uh, it, the popularity that it has in explaining the origin of caves. And it is, it is that. It is ascending, instead of descending, ascending uh, acidic water like sulfuric acid coming up from below. Back in the 90s, they were arguing uh, like 10% of caves in the world are probably due to ascending, not descending uh, sulfuric acid instead of carbonic acid, which, by the way, will dissolve much quicker. Okay, so that's why this is significant. Uh, and then over the next two decades, it doubled. And now they're saying over half of caves, they think, are formed from ascending uh, 
acidic water like sulfuric acid from volcanic and tectonic activity, which is the exact uh, prediction we would make in the flood. We would say in the flood, you got major tectonic volcanic activity going on. Uh, the circumstances are perfect for enormous amounts of sulfuric acid pushing upward from below because of heat and because of forced flow. And so it's going to move upwards and dissolve these caves very quickly. Okay, yeah. so now, you know, this is a theory. And so what we then have to do is say, well, what would I expect to find in a cave if that's true? And very hardly anybody in the creation science community has gotten into a lot of caves to look for those features uh, that substantiate um, ascending uh, flow. And so that's what I'm doing. And I'm actually going to be presenting on it next week at the International Conference on Creationism up in Cedarville, Ohio, there at the university. So so that's what I'm doing. All uh, right. <clears throat> and which, by the way, so far, all 62 caves have the features you would expect if they were formed from rising acidic water instead of descending. And so my, my uh, guess is that as geologists go back and reconsider all the other caves that they've assigned as being from carbonic acid, they'll realize, wait a minute, these all can form from sulfuric acid from below, and they're going to start, just as they've done with over half of the other caves in the world, they're going to start doing the same thing with the caves out east here as well. That's really interesting. That seems like a, a very deep study that, that you've been doing. <laughs> Was that a dad joke? <laughs> and, and I'm sure He's been sitting on that for like four minutes. I'm sure you've already figured out. I'm, I mean, I, I'm probably the least intelligent of the, of the, uh, of the triumphant. I know that's going to catch you by surprise, but uh, of the triumphant as we like it's to refer to ourselves. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, when did we ever refer to ourselves? We have <laughs> right, really never once. Yeah, that That's sounds the first good. Time. It sounds powerful. Yeah, I guess. Um, sounds triumphant. Triumphant, the triumphant. Uh, but you know, Jeff. Obviously, I wish I'd have known you when I was in high school. I was horrible at science. Or I wish I'd have known you a few years ago when my kids were going to school, mm. like with science projects and stuff. I could ask you about. And, uh, but it's too late now. It's water under the. Cave, Water under the cave, but uh, <laughs> but I we I really do I appreciate you know what you do and what apologetics does from even in the under uh, the big umbrella of AP um, and especially what you do and uh, but I I know the three of us in all seriousness you know Joe's interest in the church and tell me if I'm wrong but he really likes apologetics I love apologetics he loves he's he's a he loves apologetics and Daniel is obviously. Everything above, uh, uh, you know, but he also likes missions. I mean, he's a full-time traveling international missionary. And I like local, regional evangelism. I like helping people maximize their ministries and their congregations and in our congregation. So like with what, how can we use what you do in our walks of life? In our, like, how can Joe with, with apologetics, how can he utilize your work. How can Daniel utilize your work? How can I utilize your your work and what Apologetics Press does in terms of evangelism, creating conversations, and those kind of things to help help push people to Christ? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, so AP has all kinds. I mean, that's what we're trying to. You know, the purpose of AP is. Uh, to go investigate things that brethren don't have time really to go investigate, study, 
and, and package the material in a way where it can be um, used for evangelism. And it's just one of the great things about AP is we got guys, that's what, that's what we do. We go study this stuff. We try to package it in a way where you can then take it and use it in, in all kinds of different spheres. And so we've got materials for all ages uh, that, that people can purchase. We've got materials that people can just get for free online. Uh, so we have an app. You know, so we always encourage people to to use the app. I've got the app. That's a good app. Mm-hmm. I'm laughing. Yeah, I've got the app. You know, that, uh, one of the big things I like to to encourage people to do is, you know, we we hammer evangelism in the church. Uh, we don't necessarily hammer preparation for evangelism enough, uh, and that goes with, with apologetics too. I, mean, I would say, you know, we got to be careful, you know, making a comment like this, but. You know, Paul, when he's writing, he's addressing things that were really a big deal in the church in the first century. And so he's dealing with Gnosticism, some of these specific things going on. And I would I would argue that if he was writing today and he saw that four out of ten of our young people are leaving the church when they leave home, that's what the statistics are saying, and half of those are leaving because of science matters and apologetics issues— well, that's going to be a lot of what he's dealing with. And so I, I fear that our brethren are not spending enough time immersing themselves in apologetics. We're at a time where most people are really not going to care about baptism for their mission of sin, sadly, because they don't believe in God. They don't believe the Bible is inspired. There's these very fundamental things that have been chipped away at now for decades. The, the younger generations, they don't care anything about baptism or the one church of the Bible or... You know, You've got some other worship. steps to explain before right. you get Oh, yeah, there. yeah. And if our brethren don't immerse themselves, prepare themselves um, for apologetics and answering the kind of questions people are asking, then we're not going to be fixing this major uh, – we've got a, it's a, a big hole. breach. Yeah, yeah. Got, it's a yeah, big breach in the in the church going on. And so you asked, how can, how can we use this? Well, we've got materials with the purpose of it being for Christians – we got, of course, materials aimed at non-Christians too, but a lot of this material is Christians need to be immersing themselves in it, learning this stuff, uh, not just for themselves, but from the perspective of being able to talk to other people and teach them. That's really two different things. You know, it's one thing to know, well, I know God exists. It's another thing, can you prove to somebody else that God exists? That's two different things. And I, th- I fear our brethren are not equipped to do that. Um, you know, you know just as a, here's, a, here's a case in point. I was teaching a, a college class at our congregation, and I brought up um, quantum mechanics. Okay, and so the I mean the college kids were like, "What?" and the "Why would I care anything about quantum mechanics?" and and so I explained what's going on in quantum mechanics, the arguments being made. And the next week, one of the kids that was in the in my class ended up in a conversation with a friend of his at work. And he was arguing quantum mechanics can get a universe from nothing. Uh, and so, so, so that, those are the kind of arguments we're dealing with now. It's not the thief on the cross as much. you got people that are saying the multiverse. Or I had dealt with an email today of a young man who's losing his faith over the possibility that all of this is a simulation. And this isn't even real. It's like the Matrix or Truman Show or something that's like that. That's really dangerous. Yeah, and and I'm seeing more of that kind of stuff. I mean, this is you so know, we're, we're just that email you're talking about that he he feels that that we're just living within somebody's uh, 
digital world. Yeah, like computer, like another, uh, or in somebody's computer, basically. And then there could be in somebody else's computer. And it's all this kind of well, stuff. And that's going to get worse as uh, technology continues to advance with AI yeah, and all right, this stuff. Yeah. You mentioned the brethren, brethren preparing themselves. And I'm like, you're talking about parents too. I mean, like mom and dad and, and, and I've referenced, uh, and Noby Stone before I, I in, on this, on our podcast that I read an article in the Christian Courier years ago. And he was a, he retired from NASA and, uh, but Noby, I don't know a lot about him other than that article, but, but that was his thing was that he said, my parents or we as a family attended buildings, attended the church every time there was something happening. But my parents, his words, not mine. Uh, he said, my parents would not answer hard questions or not, would not even attempt. And, you know, I'm, I have a lot of weaknesses in science and is and math are, are two of my big weaknesses. But when our kids were coming up, even when our kids would ask a difficult question within the church, you know, creation, those kind of things, we never said, I don't know. And I'm, we never, we'd always say, let's, let's study this together. Give me until Friday. Okay. And we'll come back together. And I would ask somebody really smart like Daniel, or I would, uh, I would research something, uh, you know, so I, I think that's for me, I guess as a parent is, the message to parents is we've got to find answers even when we don't know the answers. Yeah. Yeah, I really and appreciate that, that emphasis on being prepared yeah. because, you know, doing apologetics poorly can almost do more harm than not doing it at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, I've, I've seen some pretty hacky stuff out there that if if that was all I was getting, it would really weaken my faith. Yeah. You know, and at the very least, if parents – don't feel like they're equipped to answer a question, at least know where to point their young people. Uh, but, you know, getting getting into the topic of, of kids, that's a huge deal to me. That I, I would argue that, that most of our mission thinking should be focused on the youth because by the time somebody's our age, you're way less likely to convince them. I'm not saying we're not reaching out to them too, but it's the young people that are more open to the truth. They're not already set in their ways, so we should be targeting them. And a lot of people get that. Hitler got that. The homosexual community has gotten that. Uh, uh, The Catholics have gotten that. There's a lot of people that get this concept, and it's effective. Uh, And I think Jesus emphasized youth. We need to be. So with that in mind, you ask, what can we be doing uh, like with apologetics uh, press, well, man, we've got a lot of stuff that's that's there for parents to take and start teaching this stuff to kids, not just their own kids, but like you know um, their neighbors, their friends. You know, get a get a subscription to Discovery Magazine. Um, my wife and I are having a Discovery sent to somebody. There's a little family that lives up the street from us. They have several little kids. We we went ahead and got a subscription for them. They don't even know that it's coming from us, but every month they, they get a copy. Now. They will now. They'll, yeah, well they, <laughs> yeah. This is such a huge yeah, podcast. That's exactly there. right. Yeah. <laughs> it's big in the Montgomery area. It's, uh, is it? <laughs> it does. That's according to my metrics. Well, I, I was wanting to ask you a little bit. <clears throat> well, before I do, I should make mention. If you've noticed, Daniel's voice <laughs> sounds a little different. He had some work done today. What kind of work? Um, dental work. Oh, okay. Dental work. That's right. And so if you could see him, he's doing his best ventriloquism uh, skit over there with <laughs> keeping <Yeah>. his mouth <laughs> closed and I'm talking. Trying to do the Godfather thing with the, you know, the <laughs> cotton balls on the cheeks. So uh, that'll clear up that confusion, hopefully, for the listener. But I wanted to talk a little bit uh, to Jeff about, I know he's spent quite a bit of time in academia 
and with folks who have very different views than what you do, what give me a couple of different apologetics issues or examples that the atheists just don't have an answer for? Because a lot of times they come throwing stuff at us. Well, you don't know this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not really fair to us. That's not really how a debate should work. What what would you say? What 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 in your mind is the first few things that come to your head about? Well, listen, you all don't have yeah. an answer for this. Yeah. Well, in fact, my book, Science versus Evolution, that's basically the point of it. It's to uncover a lot of those big, gaping holes that they have no explanation for, and yet they firmly believe that these things happened anyway. And so, what one of the things I'm making the point about is. Look, you have a blind faith in naturalism. I would argue there's no such thing as a pure naturalist. And by naturalist, I mean a naturalist. You know, there's different definitions of a naturalist depending upon your context. But what I'm talking about is people who believe that everything in the universe has to be explained without a God, without anything supernatural. These people are naturalists. And I argue like in my book, there's no such thing as a pure naturalist because everybody has to believe multiple things happen that are not natural, meaning they go against all the laws of science that we understand. The first one being the actual origin of the laws of science. Like why do we have a law of gravity and the laws of thermodynamics and uh, the laws of conservation of momentum? Uh, you know, Why do we have laws at all? They don't have an answer to that. Um, and so they've got speculation, but nobody has ever shown that that can that a law can create itself in nature, and yet they believe that it happened. And so I make the point, you're not really a naturalist. That doesn't happen in nature. You're a supernaturalist like me. The question is, which supernatural model is actually uh, supported by the evidence? That's the question. So the origin of the laws of science, the origin of matter and energy, the origin of life, the origin of the genetic information in life— uh, the fact that you can have an effect, like the universe is an effect, nobody really denies that, and yet it doesn't have a cause. Okay, if that can happen, then the law of causality has been violated, and you can't do science if the law of causality, the law of cause and effect, is not in play, because that's what science is all about. It's what is the effect if you initiate certain causes. If there is no correlation, you can't do science. And so the idea of an, of an effect, the universe being an effect without a cause, is the most unscientific thing you can, you can believe in. And yet again, they believe that. And, and you know, by the way, the this is one of the things that just blows my mind. The leading cosmologists, you know, Psalm 19, one, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now, you can't look at the heavens and not see, boom, there's a God. And the leading cosmologists, get, get, with, get, get this what they're saying. They are, and I've got, an, I've got an article, several articles on this. They are looking at the universe, not just the earth, the universe as a whole, and they're acknowledging that it has such precise design that it it seems to have all been made with us on earth, humans in mind, right? It's called the anthropic principle. They have a name for it. And you know, they, they, you know what they're explaining, the way that they're trying to get out of this without a God, you know what they're saying? Okay. They all cite this guy, Bernard uh, Carr, who's a a guy up in uh, Queens Mary university in London. 
And he says, if you don't want God, you'd better have a multiverse. The multiverse literally came out of the comic books. And yet he says the design in the universe is it would require the odds against it being exactly right for us are so high that the only way this could make sense and us be here is if there's an infinite number of universes and we happen to be in the one that works. But then the other guys, the other cosmologists like Paul Davies out at Arizona State University, he says, but wait a minute. If you've got a multiverse, which, by the way, there's no evidence for the multiverse. If you believe that, you still have a blind faith. This isn't actual evidence. And you literally believe in something outside of nature. Therefore, you're not a naturalist. But but Paul Davies is honest enough to say, but wait a minute, where did the multiverse come from? Well, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, that, that all that does is <laughs> kick the rock down the road a little bit yeah. further. You still, get, yeah. you yeah. still don't have that origin. Exactly. Yeah, but that's the best they have. I mean, this is the leading cosmologist. That's what they're saying. One other thing, um, I don't know if you were the first one to talk about this. Uh, to me, I went to one of your uh, lectures years ago, but you've got a background in thermonuclear... Thermodynamics. Thermodynamics. A lot of, yeah, biothermal so, science. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was you. The second law of thermodynamics mm-hmm. is that things break down over time. Yes, they become less usable, where the energy that comprises stuff is becoming less usable over time. And so in that sense, everything is deteriorating. Increasing entropy. But that's the opposite of what uh, the naturalists would have us to believe. So they believe all all of their scientific principles except for the ones that don't fit. Right? (laughs) Right, 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 right. Uh, You know, so the ironic thing is of all... First of all, if there is anything that is scientific, it's going to be the laws of science. And the ultimate laws of science that are sometimes called super laws are laws like the laws of thermodynamics. These are like the big guys. And these present a major problem because the first law of thermodynamics tells us that in what we've witnessed in nature is that matter and energy don't create themselves and they aren't destroyed. They don't totally disappear. The sum total amount of energy in the universe stays the same. And, okay, well, how does that work? And yet you start with no energy in the universe, and now we have energy. That doesn't mm-hmm. work. And so the first law of thermodynamics doesn't allow that, and yet most most scientists believe that is what happened in spite of it. The second option is, well, maybe the universe is eternal. It's always been here. And not as, not as many people believe that because it's got its own issues, and that's one of the reasons the Big Bang became popular is because the issues – with the idea of an eternal universe, because the second law of thermodynamics disproves that. And it is, again, the idea that the, that the universe itself is breaking down. We're running out of usable, usable energy, which means it can't be infinite in age or else the whole universe would be break, totally broken down. Yeah. We would be at uh, heat death. Right. Now, that's one of the, the ways that we use the second law of thermodynamics. You're actually talking about another way this um, – in order for Darwinian evolution to happen, you ultimately have to have an increase in complexity on the earth. Okay, so you've got to have this single-celled organism somehow become more and more complex, right. uh, which goes against the idea of entropy. Now, they'll, they squawk at that. They can't really squawk with, uh, 
with the first point I made, unless they argue there's something outside of the universe, which again, now they're, they're jumping beyond nature and they're admitting they're supernaturalists. But in dealing with the Darwinian evolution question, they'll say, well, as long as you have usable energy coming into the earth, then you can actually have increased complexity in lo- locally, like local pockets of increased complexity, like going into a room and cleaning it up. Okay. And so that's what they, what they try to do with that. And they say, well, we've got sunlight reaching the earth. And so therefore, that's, that added usable energy could make it where evolution would happen. So I actually have a section in the book dealing with this. Uh, but just in short, the response to that is, okay, so evolution is supposed to be happening all the time and has been for 3.8 billion years on the earth. And, in, and what, what they're having to say then is that entropy doesn't really go up on the earth globally. In order for evolution to be occurring all the time, and basically you, you'd be able to have localized decrease in entropy in order for all life to evolve, that means the entire earth cannot be under the second law of thermodynamics, which of course would be a miracle. That would be a supernatural thing. They would have to say the second law of thermodynamics did not apply while all creatures are evolving. Well, okay, now you believe in a miracle, just like I do. Uh, and so that doesn't, it doesn't fix the problem for them. Uh, besides the fact that genetic entropy is, now that we know much more about the genome, we now know that the, the, the genome itself is going through entropy. It's deteriorating, and it leads to what they call mutational meltdown. And there's actually several mammalian species that just from the accumulation of mutations are expected to go extinct just from that. Uh, And so there's no way to counter genetic entropy, much less the entropy required for Darwinian evolution. Anyway, I go into all this in my book. So genetics are getting less complicated rather than more complicated. Really? That's exactly right. That's what the actual evidence is indicating, yeah. We've you know, talked a little bit about genetics on this show. Mm-hmm. We probably shouldn't have. We're totally not qualified to talk about some of the stuff. No. But Jeff is. And uh, I remember Bart brought up one time that Francis Crick, uh, whenever they were looking at uh, discovering DNA, said that they have to keep reminding themselves that this is not created <laughs> because it looks so created. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, I want to go back before we run out of time, and we're almost out of time. Um I love what you're doing with the caves and going to a place where people teach long-scale uh, old earth stuff with that, and you're reevaluating that. Um, you also have done some stuff, I think, at the Grand Canyon. Is that right? Mm, yes. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yes. Um, so Grand Canyon, uh, again, it's one of these other examples of a, of a place that um, defies the idea of a young earth, okay? It's, it's always been used as a champion for an old earth. Uh, and so what creationists have done is gone and looked again. You have to get into the field and actually look at the evidence and see what really happens. And, uh, and so, yeah, I did have the opportunity to go down there and study that uh, firsthand with some of these scientists that are doing that. I, so I, I'll highlight one, one recent study that's gone on down at Grand Canyon and give a little plug for a movie that's going to be coming out in the next year. Did you all see the movie Is Genesis History when that came out? Okay, so those are the guys that I go and study with in the field. Those are, those are kind of the leading minds in the, in the, in the uh, creation science community. Andrew Snelling, who's in that movie, he, um, 
let me let me get a step back a little bit. So in geology, if you see um, sometimes you'll see sedimentary rock layers called strata. You can see those at Grand Canyon. These long horizontal pancakes on top of each other. But there's places all over the world where those pancakes all of a sudden will bend like 90 degrees and go straight up into the air before they bend again and continue on or they get eroded and they just go up into the air and stop. All right, so how do you take rocks and bend them like that? I mean, what happens if you try to bend a rock? Well, it breaks. And yet these are folded strata that are not broken. And there'll be like huge amounts of strata that are all bent. This isn't even just one strata. This is a bunch tied together uh, bent, which suggests either that those uh, strata are still soft and you have very quick tectonic movement where you've got a plate maybe that pushes upward. And so it causes a bending of those strata or the strata had already turned to rock and then slowly maybe there was uh, a movement of the plates and it gradually maybe reheated the rocks to allow them to bend. All right, so what Andrew Snelling said is, you've got at Grand Canyon some of these folded strata. I think it's at Carbon Canyon. And nobody has ever gone to look and see, are they sedimentary rock, which would prove they were soft. All those strata were soft and they were bent quickly, which would support a young earth. Or if they're metamorphic and therefore would support their position. So he applied to be able to go down there and do geology work and they denied him because he's a young earth guy. Mm-hmm. So Andrews and Genesis sued and won. And so he was able to go down there and do work on that. And that's what's actually going to be coming out in basically the sequel to his Genesis history that should be coming out in the next year. But what he found is, sure enough, it's sedimentary, which proves that those strata at the Grand Canyon were laid down quickly. While they were still soft, there's still sedimentary rock there. So while they were soft, you had quick uh, movement of the plates that caused bending at, at a Carbon Canyon. Uh, so that's just one of the a, a lot of evidences there at Grand Canyon that actually support the young earth position. Most people just don't hear about that, uh, of course, in their in their school and so forth. I could listen to you talk about this stuff for another hour. Yeah, I could too. It's yeah. really interesting. It I've is. Got, I've got some really good news for you. We're now we now qualify as an academic podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> uh, I I just and I too I, I could listen even though I. Uh, struggled as a kid in, in science and all this, but as I get older, I see that I'm making the connection. See, the way I learn and the way I, I think is I will, I'm more interested in something if I can make a connection with it. And you just made another connection for me as to as to answer the why of what you do uh, for me. And but I, I'm all about resources too. I wanted to say one thing real quick about the Apologetics Press website, and I'm speaking from experience. It really is a tremendous tremendous resource it really is i've been using it for years the apologetics website so if you a press website so for you parents you know we actually bought a vbs curriculum a couple times uh, for our congregation a few years ago and so as a parent and as someone who tries to teach a bible class every now and then and and fill in at different places i utilize the apologetics press website is something i go it's one of my go-to's for articles on everything so yeah they take some of these uh difficult things 
and uh, make it easy to understand. Oh, yeah. I but mean, what we've yeah. mentioned the website, but we have not mentioned what the website is. So, Jeff, can you tell us what the website is? It's apologeticspress.org. So you got to be able to spell apologetics. That's the hardest part. <laughs> and it's, you know, They've got apps and stuff, too. So look at look at the app. It has articles. And, and keep in mind, I'm talking at you know kind of adult level here. And so we've got articles that are written more at adult, even more scholarly uh, than this. But a lot of our stuff, again, we're aiming at teens. We break this down more. Like I wrote a book called Flooded that's really targeting ninth graders. And it goes through what we know from Scripture and science, kind of where we're at in creation science on understanding the flood. And it goes very in-depth into into some technical things, but breaks it down in a way where it's not too hard on them. And then on down younger, we got stuff all the way down through middle school and and, and even into the elementary years. I did have one quick question. I want to ask you about your cave, about your tours real quick. Have you ever pulled a guide to the side and go, look, we need to talk? (laughs) Yeah, it's not 30 million years old. Yeah, you know, incidentally, I've got a cool story about that. I was actually leading a tour. Uh, I think it was at Polishing the Pulpit last year. I led a tour to a, a cave out there in Tennessee. And uh, and so I had already talked to the, the cave people, and so I was kind of co-leading it with one of their guys. And uh, and so he he got he quickly figured out that his his narrative – that the people on the trip were kind of, you know, <laughs> chuckling a little bit about his narrative because I'd already talked to them. So along the way, you know, as I'm pointing things out to the uh, the people on the tour, he starts asking questions. And so, I, yeah, I had an opportunity to explain to him the ascending uh, acidic water approach, and I st- I'm pointing out the features that prove it. And by the end of it, he said, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think this form from below. So, yeah, that's that's not unusual. I'll run into cave. They just like, haven't been given that information. That's right. They haven't been given it. And so a lot of these tour guides, whenever I point it out, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I've always wondered why. Because they they all say the same things, and it doesn't really fit. The tour guides get it. They go through there hundreds of times. They're like, I'm not sure how this – why would, why would you have uh, river channels – on the ceiling instead of on the ground. I mean, if the water's coming down from above, why wouldn't you have channels on the ground? Why is mm-hmm. it on the ceiling? Yeah, that right. suggests everything's upside down, right. mm-hmm. and they've, they've got the whole model backwards. And that's just one of the features you're looking for, these channels on the walls and ceiling, especially walls, that, channels that go up to the ceiling. And it doesn't make sense from their paradigm. And so the minute I talk about these things and point out right there with their own eyes, they can see these features yeah, I think I'm converting uh, the tour guides to our cause anyway. Hey, that's, that's awesome. Really cool. That's awesome. I'm I'm uh, a little smarter than I was when we started. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but we have to end our time more, with Dr. Jeff Miller is coming is coming to a close here. If we had more time, I'd be a lot smarter. But maybe maybe we can do a part two sometime. Jeff, hey. we see him around occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, if he doesn't run for, run from us, <laughs> then maybe we can wrangle him in for another episode. Yeah. yeah, we would love to have you back again. Yeah, it's fun. Um, well, thank you very much for your time and your expertise. You've been generous with uh, with all of that. We want to thank our dear listener for letting us be a part of your spiritual journey uh, today. We hope that you'll uh, give us a five star. A rating and share the podcast with others. We also want to thank the elders at the South Green Street Church of Christ for making soul training possible. And I want to thank my dentist for giving me this voice today. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, uh, until next time, keep soul training. Soul training.
practice what you preach. Ooh, yeah. Yes, we do. We've got soul training. To learn more, you can email us at soultrainingpodcast at gmail.com or you can write to us, P.O. Box 503, Glasgow, Kentucky, 42142. That's soul training.